Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of Comfort Films Podcast. Tonight, we're going to be discussing The Fugitive, which was released on August 6, 1993. It stars Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. I really love this movie. I remember when it came out, everyone was talking about this all the time. It really kind of came out of nowhere and became super popular. Oh, yeah. This is big news. Yeah, it was a great kind of action chase movie. But at its heart, it is really kind of a good old-fashioned mystery I especially noticed that when we were watching it this time, um, because I think you remember kind of the big set pieces of this with the train crash and the, you know, sewer chase and jumping out of the dam, um, which is all huge and spectacular. But really, where the meat of this movie is, is in Dr. Richard Kimball looking for clues and trying to figure out who the one-armed man is, why he killed Kimball's wife and you know what was the motive behind that and also you know trying to get that information to Tommy Lee Jones so that his name can be cleared um I really enjoyed watching it because I loved that aspect of it yeah it's a great movie I mean they also throw you for a curve because what I noticed when we watched it again they don't initially show you the footage of the one-armed man they just show you the actual murder you know we have that kind of black and white footage. It's like the, the inverse. It looks like a camera negative, mm -hmm. you know, when we're seeing, you know, these brutal scenes. So they kind of put the idea in your head of maybe it's him. I mean, we know it's not, yeah. right? Because I mean, it's, it's Harrison Ford. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, later, you later, know, they turn they on... do subvert that in another movie. And I guess I won't say what that is, cause just in case anybody hasn't seen it, but... Yes, you're right. That does get subverted elsewhere. And they only are able to subvert it because it is so true that we kind of implicitly trust Harrison Ford to be the good guy. It's just like James Stewart, right? It's just yeah. like what we dealt with in Rear Window. We think James Stewart is a good guy. Even though he has behavior to the contrary, we trust him. Sure. So it's, you know, it's very smart. It's very smart movie making. And this film, what also is crazy to me is that the marshals that are chasing Kimball, I mean, they were so popular, that crew was so good, that they actually got a sequel with them as the star. Yes. Yeah, U.S. Marshals, I guess it was called. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, did Tommy Lee Jones win an Oscar for this movie? Yes, he did. He won Best Supporting Actor. I also believe this was nominated for Best Picture. There might have been other awards that it was nominated wow. for as well. So this was a heavily recognized film. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's an action movie. Like, this is very much an action movie. There's a chase going on. There's a lot of action scenes. And that's not often recognized when award season comes around. No, it's just so well done. It's very tightly knit. The film's two hours and ten minutes. And it flies by. It does not feel that long at no, all. No, yeah. it, it feels much shorter. I mean, there were scenes, of course, that were cut. For example, Julianne Moore had a much larger part in the original piece but that was trimmed down. I think, did Jane Lynch have a, a larger part in it as well? Um, I'm not sure if they actually shot it, but there was an idea of her being kind of like a romantic uh, interest for Kimball. But I think that, and Julianne Moore, it's the same thing. 
But I think that the decision was made that, you know, this is all about Kimball trying to figure out who killed his wife. And they just didn't feel like it felt right for him to have a new love interest already when there's no closure around the loss of his wife yet. Yeah, it would have been pretty creepy. I, I would yeah. have really not trusted him. Yeah. And if they did go with that and they said he's the good guy and he had this new relationship, I would like want to tell the person that he's now involved <laughs> with, you better watch your ass. You well, know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think like, yeah, there really has to be closure before we can see him move on. I don't yeah. think it would work. Also, he's on the lam. I mm -hmm. mean, the entire movie, he's running away from the cops. Like, how do you start a relationship when he's trying to solve a mystery and running away from the law. I don't think that even makes sense. And luckily the filmmakers kind of saw that and went, you know, a different direction. Yeah. I mean, what he did is he spent his time being a good Samaritan, right? He did yeah. some work at the hospital, exactly. you know, yeah. and that was, that was a lot more fulfilling. And from what I understand on the original television show, that was what Kimball did as well. He would do these good Samaritan type deeds mm. So, I, I mean, you know, and it was very wise to bring him to a location where he knew everything. So he is a doctor, of course. So Kimball always hides out at the hospital. Yeah. And then also the screenplay very smart wrapped around the fact that he needed to get information on the one-armed man. So there'd be a prosthetics group. You know, right. It, you know, it, it, made, it made perfect sense. And, and I love that when they can just tie all these pieces together. He is an expert in this field. He knows what's going on. And, you know, it's Harrison Ford. I mean, Harrison Ford made so many amazing movies that I think probably more than any other actor, he shaped my childhood. I yeah. mean, right? I mean, we're talking about Han Solo, yeah. Indiana Jones, Rick Deckard. You know, and, yeah. and that's that's the tip of the iceberg. Well, even on this show, this is what, like our maybe fourth Harrison Ford movie to discuss? We did Empire, we did New Hope, mm -hmm. we did, uh, actually it's the fifth. Fifth. Yeah, because we did two Indiana Jones movies too. So, yeah, we have really gone back to the well a few times, turning it into a Harrison Ford podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, he was in so many movies that are classic to us. Yeah. You know, especially because when we were born, it's right when Star Wars came out. And then we were elementary school when Indiana Jones came out. So as we, we kind of grew up on this guy being kind of like America's, you know, suspense dad or something. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. But, you know, he, he's just in a ton of movies. And they're pretty much all good. I'm not going to say he hasn't had a few clinkers. But overall, not not a bad uh, average for Harrison Ford. No, I mean, he's an octogenarian yeah. and he has Indiana Jones 5 coming out yeah. and people can't wait. That shows you the star power. Yeah. I mean, he has so much charisma and he has a very down-to-earth approach. I mean, I don't know him as a person, but watching his work, he always seems very down-to-earth, no matter how wild the situation is. Yeah. It seems to be approached practically. And we see that in the science fiction films as well. Mm -hmm. You know, he's very grounded. Agree. And, right? And he's very trustworthy. And he's actually from Chicago. Okay. You well. know, so it's like, you know, then we have this film, you know, The Fugitive, set in Chicago. They also did a couple weeks in North Carolina 
for the uh, the train crash. And the dam, I think, was down there, too. Okay, and then maybe, like, the, the run in the woods maybe was down there. But, yeah, it, it's like this is a guy coming back to his hometown making a movie. So it it felt really good, and it felt really natural. And a Midwest guy at that. Yeah, so this yeah. is, like, a very middle America person. And, you know, the whole thing is, even though he plays a doctor which is more of a high-status type person, because he is arrested, you know, and going to jail, and then running from the law during this, it kind of brings that down to make it more relatable. Mm -hmm. And I also think that we're dealing with a, a kind of a stock character almost that Hitchcock went to again and again and again, which is wrongly accused man on the run oh yeah you know he loved that and he did so much with it and then we have you know this isn't necessarily a hitchcockian movie but i feel like that is a hitchcockian character sure i mean hitchcock even had a film called the wrong man you know (laughs) like i mean this this was the thing he needed to clear his name he's a good man he needs to clear his name no one believes him you know, and, and there's also a very, uh, I would say, comedic element that I really zeroed in on this time when I watched the film. And I don't know what it is, but the police officers, the people playing the police <laughs> yeah. officers in this, you know, they have some really nice accents. And I know that uh, one of them, maybe both of them, were actual police officers at one point. I think just the one that played Detective Rossetti, Joseph Casala, mm-hmm. was a police officer in Chicago. I think Ron Dean was a Chicago actor um, and played a lot of those types of roles. But I'm not sure that he was actually a cop. I'd have to look it up. Okay. Um, but Joseph Casala definitely was, and he's the guy that we love the most. Oh, he's incredible. I mean, he brings just this real ease to it. And when they have that interrogation scene, we found out there wasn't even that interrogation scene in the script. Originally, it was just him getting his mugshot. Yeah. And I mean, they, wow. They just kind of improvised the questions. Mm-hmm. You know, Casala brought in, like, what questions would they actually have asked? Yeah. And it was really great. He just has this perfect Chicago, like, Polish cop kind of thing going. Mm-hmm. He looks right. He sounds right. His accent cracks up over and over again. And he, but he also has this authenticity. So even though it's funny, it's funny in a way because it's so real. Yeah, I mean, that scene with the interrogation was so good because, you know, Rosetti, Detective Rosetti, right, comes in with these these coffee mugs and just sits them down, right? So it seems like, you know, it's kind of a friendly meeting. You know, anyone would think, okay, the police are on my side, you know. There's no problem. I can speak freely here, you know. Well, and, and he's in shock. Like right. He's, you know, he's lost his wife. Like, he's in total shock. And he doesn't understand until well into the conversation that they are looking at him. Well, and that's also something that you would use with someone that you knew was guilty to lull them into this false sense of security. So they would start to give you more information than they regularly would. And what I found hilarious is is the coffee cup that gets set in front of Kimball <laughs> says the big one. Yeah. You know, and I was like, the big one. It just <laughs> feels, the whole scene kind of feels like inappropriate, I guess, in a certain mm-hmm. way. Like, because you're very much sympathetic to Harrison Ford here. His performance in the scene is amazing. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The fact that it's improvised even makes it even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, because he doesn't know what they're going to be asking him. He doesn't know what's going on. He just knows the circumstances 
in the script of what had happened to his wife. And he's just reacting off of whatever they ask him. And it's such a sympathetic portrayal. And then, you know, the more agitated he gets, the more like rapid fire Kasala gets with the questions. And it really escalates the scene in a really intense way. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the fact that they finished the coverage on Harrison Ford and he realized they were still going to be shooting the other two guys, he said, hey, I'm going to stick around until you're done so I can give them something to act off of. It just lets you know that this is a person that really is a team player that wants to give a million percent and he wants to support. And that is so awesome. Yeah, Harrison Ford is a real one for doing that because that's not a common thing. Usually, like, the more minor actors are just playing against whatever they remember, you know, being done and hoping that it matches the intensity. But Ford stayed with them to make sure that their part seemed just as good as his part. And that's super cool. Yeah. I I mean, now, this is where it gets funny for me. Because, okay, so we've got these two cops with these heavy Chicago accents. I kind of felt like we were doing, like, Bears super fans. (laughs) It sounded like that. Right. Casala really sounds like that. I mean, there's that, I'm jumping ahead, but there's that one part later (laughs) in the, when they're, you know, they believe that he's killed a cop later mm-hmm. on. So all the Chicago cops are like on the warpath against Dr. Kimball. And this one guy, Casala, is talking to like the sniper in the helicopter. And he's like, if you get a clear shot, take it. You know? And we like, <laughs> we're like dead of laughing about this. The clear shot. We keep saying that all the time. Because it really does sound like the Polish sausage guys from SNL. Oh, yeah. I felt like, you know, Chris Farley and Mike Myers should have just been invited, (laughs) you know, to a scene. Because, I mean, hell, Ditka himself should have been there, you know? Ditka. Ditka. You know, so it's, that's what I kept thinking about. Every time we saw these police, I always was like, oh, my God, this is just like an SNL sketch. Now, they're doing excellent work, and it's just really, really strong. It's just their awesome accents. Yeah, it's great. Now, wasn't it that one of these guys actually... uh, uh, was a cop the same time as Dennis Farina or was in that the was same... Casala, yeah. So Dennis Farina, another really great actor who mm-hmm. was actually a Chicago cop, was yeah, I guess he worked with Casala. The two of them were cops at the same time. Oh wow. That's I would, pretty awesome. <laughs> I would love to sit in on a talk with them. Now that would be <laughs> that would be really good. You know, I, I yeah. So I mean I, I found like some funny moments in this this time. And I think it's just because I have such great memories when I think back to seeing the movie. I don't know if I ever shared this story with you. So this came out, you know, in the summertime, okay? And I was in high school. And what we would do is all of us, there were a bunch of us friends, and we would all stay over different people's houses every week, okay? And this particular week, a bunch of us were staying over our friend Tom Sullivan's house. And in the morning, you know, it was Sunday, we were supposed to go to church. And so like, yeah, you know, we're going to church. So we take off, you know, we're unsupervised. (laughs) And so we check the movie listings and we find out the fugitive is happening. Okay, so we're in Spencer, Massachusetts. We drive down to Worcester, Massachusetts. We go to Lincoln Plaza Cinemas, you know, which is now a Target. Yeah. And, you know, we go and we watch the movie. Incredible. And then, you know, afterwards we drive back and you know, we say, you know, we went to church. Now, (laughs) the best part of this, this line I never forgot, okay, is we were all laughing about it, 
you know, saying that we went to church. <laughs> and uh, it's we were like, well, what should we say? You know, if your mom asks us what church we went to, what should we say? <laughs> okay. And Tom Sullivan goes, uh, we'll say we went to the Church of the Holy Acceleration. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember that. It was, you know, so it was just like it was fun because it was like you were playing hooky. We were kind of a fugitive in a sense, right? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So it, it was, you know, I, I have good memories of this. I'm watching Harrison Ford movies with my friends. I mean, I we didn't even mention Jack Ryan. I mean, another, yeah. you know, thing that he had happening. So, yeah. I mean, he was just like the man. And everything. we... You know, he was like the actor in the 80s and 90s even. I mean, I remember watching this with my family. Um, we didn't go to the movies very often, but we would definitely watch movies at home on satellite. We had the big dish in the backyard. Yeah. And this was just like a crowd pleaser for everybody. Like as different as all five of us were, we could all sit down and watch this and really enjoy it. You know, it had like this action and chase element that could keep us interested. It had the mystery thing that I would like and my mom would really like. Sure. And even my sisters liked it because there was a lot going on and they were young, but they could follow it. And it was, you know, suspenseful and exciting. So I definitely remember us watching this all together. And of course it did have this pop culture phenomenon element because, like, I feel that everyone saw this movie. It was oh, yeah. a super popular movie because of Harrison Ford, because of Tommy Lee Jones, who is really, really great uh, in this movie. I think that what he was able to bring to the part of Gerard really took this over the edge. Because um, you're going to love a Harrison Ford movie, but when you have kind of Harrison Ford up against really one other guy mainly it has to be a really strong performance and Tommy Lee Jones did an awesome job in this it's not just him it's this whole team I would especially call out Joe Pantoliano oh yes who's awesome as uh, this guy Renfro who works with Gerard and his whole team was great but Tommy Lee Jones is so strong that he could easily kind of hold up against Harrison Ford. Um, and he, too, has a lot of charisma yeah. in this. And it's it's a completely different kind because his character is just all about getting the job done. Like, that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about right or wrong. He just cares about fulfilling his obligations. I mean, I see this a lot when I read different mysteries. I like reading mysteries. I've talked about this before, you know, and this really does follow the kind of mystery trope thing where it's very, you know, aligned with all the things that make a good mystery. And one of those things is that you usually have law enforcement who are really just worried about solving the case. They're not necessarily looking to do the right thing or the wrong thing. They just are looking to close the case and however they can close the case the easiest is what they do i'm not saying this is like real life by far i have no idea <laughs> what real life could be it could be that it could be you know people are really trying to solve it it could be all kinds of different things but in these mystery genre things when there's a police presence i feel that it usually is focused on closing the case. And that's what Tommy Lee Jones's character wants to do. 
he doesn't care if Kimball's guilty or not guilty. He, he literally says it. He does. He doesn't. That's he doesn't see that as his job. His job is not to say you're right, you're wrong. His job is to catch you and put you back in jail. That's it. And he's going to do whatever he has to do to do it. Now, he does change over the course of the movie because he is presented in very clever ways with incontrovertible evidence that Kimball is innocent. But at the beginning of this movie, he does not give a shit one way or the other no. and, and absolutely says as much. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the big change. The very end of the film when he's in the police car with Kimball. You know, it's just like, uh, you do care. And he's like, yeah, just, you know, don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, you know, they just laugh it out. So it's, you know, and that's the end of the film. I mean, really, this whole movie is about bringing these two characters together. And when that ultimately happens, when they're both together and achieving the same goal, you know, it, that's, I mean, we have no further road here to travel. I mean, we have captured the bad guy. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, and Tommy Lee Jones actually lets Harrison Ford get away because he shoots at him, you know, when these doors have shut. And he's like, you know, intentionally just shooting this bulletproof glass to make sure that he gets away. Like Harrison Ford gets his uh, foot stuck in the door. You know what I mean? He could have really gotten him if he wanted to. And he looks at him. They actually have the camera look back at Tommy Lee Jones and he's looking at Harrison Ford like, run, dummy. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's, you know, it's a great film in that sense. I mean, Joe Pantoliano was someone that I loved ever since I was a kid. Absolutely. The first thing that I remember him from was Running Scared. And, you know, he was a criminal. He was a bad guy in the movie. But I really liked him. I have liked him in everything that he shows up in. Anytime that I would see Joe Pantoliano, I would be excited and I would go watch the movie. I agree. For me, it was the Goonies. Oh, he's great. Uh, Of course, he's one of the bad guys in that, too. And he's amazing. We'll talk about that movie someday. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's just got he's got a real charisma again. I mean, there's so many just charismatic (laughs) people in this. And I mean, that shouldn't be surprising because they're on the big screen. You know, these are professionals. But Joe Pantoliano just has a real likability for me. And I, I just always am happy to see him in any character. And in this in particular, I'm pleased because he is a good guy. Yeah. He's always a bad guy. Sopranos, yeah. bad guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like every time. It's true. You know, they never have it. In the, Even like Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. Like he's not exactly a bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. No. I, in the movie Running Scared, the first thing that I remember him from. You know, he seems like a criminal, but you kind of feel bad for him. But then in the end, definitively, he is a villain. You know, so it's like, ah, you know what I mean? And then, you know, you remember him later from Memento, right? And that's a whole other story that we're not getting into. But, yeah, this is just, you know, you've got a great actor. And his work with Tommy Lee Jones, the two of them together, they were really able to just bounce it back and forth. Yeah. And it was that way with the entire team. I mean, one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie you know, is when they're actually at uh, the prison, you know, and they're they're waiting to take the elevator up. Mm-hmm. And the one cop is talking about things being hanky. And Tommy Lee Jones cannot stand it. He does not <laughs> like the word. And it's very funny because, you know, I'm foolish like that, too. If people are using a word I just don't like, I want to get out of there. And I want to let them know 
that I think that the word that they're using is absolute nonsense and carries no meaning. You know, and I like that he says roughly to them, look, I want you guys to stop using words around me that don't make any sense. <laughs> I'm going to take the stairs. You yeah, know what I mean? He really doesn't want to wait anymore. You know what I mean? Well, and then they give him shit again at another time when they're like listening to that phone call. Yeah. And they, they hear a train in the background and they're like, that sounds like an elevated train. It's got to be Chicago. And he's like, what makes it sound like an elevated train? <laughs> And then, of course, he's they're right. And so, you know, they kind of give him a little shit about it. And I like that scene, too. Well, they yeah, they're able to wrap it around. Because he can dish it and take it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one scene that I would say is the, is the most difficult for me with the character is when they bust the other convict that ran away mm -hmm. with Kimball. Mm -hmm. They go to his house. You know, they have this bust. And it's this guy, and I don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend. I don't, I don't know who she is, you know, an acquaintance. And, um, you know, it, it, this convict takes one of his guys hostage. Yeah. And Tommy Lee Jones just decides to shoot the guy that's holding him hostage. This guy has got a gun to this cop's head. You know, he's got like his, you know, arm around his neck. He's going to shoot him. And Tommy Lee Jones decides to sneak up on the guy and shoot him. And that's very dangerous. You know, there, there was there was no negotiation. And it, it's very frightening. And the cop is like, I'm going to have permanent hearing damage. What the hell was wrong with you? You know, and he's very, you know, nice to him. And he's like, look, I just, I don't negotiate. I you don't know? bargain, I think is what he said. Yeah, he's like, you, you thought I should have bargained. You thought I should have done this. And then he like gets really close up to his ear and says, can you hear what I'm saying? Like he's whispering. He's yeah. like, I don't bargain. And I thought that was a difficult scene, too, because, you know, you're dealing with somebody who, as you said, is looking at permanent physical damage. It's yeah. not going to stop. No. And, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is pretty unapologetic about it. Entirely. He's just, yeah. He's just like, you know, this is the job. And if, you know, you're not hard enough for it, then... Maybe, you know, you're not cut out. And I think that that's a difficult pill to swallow for that guy. Um, I can't really say whether I think that Tommy Lee Jones is right or not. I mean, the fact is you are going to deal with dangerous situations. And this guy's really young. And we can see that the guy's really green. Yeah. It seems like this is kind of some of his first assignments, you know, that he's getting um, to go off and, and do things on his own. Mm-hmm within the team and I think you know this is kind of part of the training and Tommy Lee Jones sees it as part of the training but he's a tough guy and this other guy's maybe not tough in that way well it's a situation where you feel that Tommy Lee Jones thinks that this is the only way to do it because if he did try to negotiate things would have gotten much worse mm -hmm. and there would have been a much greater chance he felt that if he took matters into his own hands quickly and swiftly you know this person would still keep their life you know i mean that's that's what i think but then you know that as soon as he shoots you know the escaped convict the woman that was there with him is screaming because she just watched you know a murder yeah and he just looks at her and just goes shut up and i was like what the fuck <laughs> yeah he's he is very black and white and that scene is to show us even more so and reinforce with us that he is a very black and white person. He doesn't have feelings about the job or think that there is room for feelings in the job. 
he has a very black and white view of what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's what we're to get out of that scene. The reason that he doesn't bargain is because a bargain is, I think, by definition, a compromise. You're offering someone something for them to agree with you. But to do that, you have to give something up. And Gerard is not willing to give anything up. He wants it. The he wants what he wants, and he doesn't want to compromise that in any way, shape, or form. He's not willing to compromise it, and he is willing for people on his team to suffer so that he doesn't have to compromise. Yeah, I mean, he refers to the other people on his team as his kids. You know, it's like they had one of my kids, and he just you know moves forward. Something else I do want to mention in the scene. I just found it very peculiar that in this residence over the bed, there was, you know, this painting of a topless woman. Now, I, I have no problem with, you know, the human form, but it just felt really out of place. It felt <laughs> like it was, you know, this woman's residence. And, you know, I, I don't know the history behind it, but it just felt really strange to me. It made me think about uh, The Shining. Yeah. Yeah. Right? When Halloran is at his place or is he at a hotel? No, I think it's, I mean, I, I'm assuming that it's like his apartment in Florida or yeah. whatever that he lives in for half the year. Um, it, it's exactly the same setup. You're right. He has this bed and there's this picture painting above the bed of like a naked woman like kneeling down. And, like, the boobs and stuff are, like, super prominent. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, you know, a very sexual picture. Right. And I agree. It was pretty bizarre that right. this was here, and I didn't quite understand it. No. Um, it's It does seem, like, with Halloran, I can kind of understand it's something that would be in, like, his bachelor pad. Yeah, you know, he's single like an, guy. He's an old guy, but he's, yeah. he is single and whatever. But this... Seems like it's this woman's house. I, I don't know. It was weird. It yeah. was weird. I don't feel like... I had never noticed this before, but after you pointed out, I didn't feel like there was ever any satisfactory reason for me to understand why that was there. Yeah, just because the information we're presented with in the film, I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know, you know, what I'm supposed to take from this. You know what I mean? I, I didn't feel... Like, this was a sex worker. I didn't feel no. like that at all. I felt like they had a connection. Yeah, I, I mean, think... is, it, is it this guy's house? Is she a painter? I, I don't know. I'm probably going way too deep on this. <laughs> but, you know, again, I, I it's cool. But I just, I felt like that just felt, out. it did. Yeah. It felt out of place. I agree. It, it, because it's just like, I thought about, you know, like if I just had, you know, like a painting, like above the bed I mean, I, I was thinking about myself because I thought it'd be funny. Just a painting of me naked above the bed with just like my <laughs> dick hanging down. I mean, that would be kind of amazing that, that we talk about it. But my point is, I just don't think that, that we would, you know, have that in our bedroom. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you're in the bed, you're there to sleep and, you know, have sex. And I don't, I don't know that I would, I would need the painting. I mean, maybe if I looked at a painting of myself... Um, it would it would supercharge me. That'll really do it for you. <laughs> I have no idea. Anyway, I'm way off base, but you you get my drift. You yes, get my drift with it. It's weird. Yeah, it's super weird. I mean, you know, again, this movie has so much to it that these quick little bits, you know, you might just look past because the the story 
is so compelling. Well, and also I would say that, like, this is something we've run into many times in the past, that when we watch something again that we've watched in the in the 90s or whatever, yeah. when we see it now on, like, 4K or on Blu-ray, the resolution is so much better than it was that there are definitely things on screen that nobody ever intended for you to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with this, I never saw that painting above the bed until no, our either. last viewing. Yeah. You know, it was it was totally weird. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is uh, the other thing I, I wanted to mention. Uh, this is moving away from the painting of me and my <laughs> penis. Um, what I like, again, I would mentioned that Richard Kimball, you know, goes to the hospital because that's what he knows. And again, this is also helping him solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. So it's like two for one. He uses that, you know, to get away, takes the ambulance. He knows all of this. So I thought, what if I was being hunted by the authorities? Like, what do I know? And I was like, where would I where would I go? Like a movie theater, <laughs> a record store, you know, like a. a, a like a, a sub shop. I'd go to like a vitamin factory. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. Exactly. It's just like, you know, like my story, like what would happen? You'd go to a pizza place. Pizza just place. Just be hiding in the pepperoni. Yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite good. You'd that be would like be quite good. Covered in meatball subs. <laughs> So this ties in. So the the director of this film, Andrew Davis, you know, had worked with Tommy Lee Jones, you know, prior to this. And I believe the film that they had done together most recently before uh, The Fugitive was actually Under Siege. And in Under Siege, they do have a dancer that comes aboard this Mm -hmm. Navy vessel and she jumps out of this cake, you know, topless. And I was just thinking about like hiding you know, in a cake like that. You know what I mean? Like nobody really asked for me to show up, but you know what I mean? I just, I don't know. Like you just were in there. Just, yeah. Like maybe just like a, just a, an office party, like an office birthday. And like, we got you this cake, Joe. And I don't know. I, I mean, this is <laughs> good. Yeah. I, I got a lot going on in my uh... life, <laughs> but anyways. Yeah. So another thing that's really great in this is one of the prison guards is our main man, who uh, jumps to conclusions. Yeah, the jumping to conclusions, Matt guy. Yeah. From Office Space, Richard Real. Yes. Or yes. Really? I don't know how to say his name. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I, I would have gone, I think I would have gone Real. But yeah, Really, that could be. It could a be t- Really, it could be Rila. I don't know. Ooh. It's a German name. So in German pronunciation, it's probably Rila, but I don't know. You'd never know what people are actually going with. But He's a great character actor who is, you know, in so many different movies. Yeah. And he's really funny and memorable from Office Space where he makes this mat called the Jumping to Conclusions mat. Um, And, you know, he wants to sell it and get rich so he doesn't have to work in the office anymore. Well, when I see him with a shotgun, all I think about is Office Space. You know, like... (laughs) He's like regulating, and now it's like because office space, the amount of times I've seen that and I've, you know, enjoyed it and I've laughed, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like the jumping to conclusions guy. <laughs> I know, you know? That's and it's all I think about. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. So it's just like. It's just like when we saw, um, it's just like when we see Stephen Root, who was also in office space. Oh, yeah. As Milton. Yes. Um, but I never think of him as anything but Jimmy James. <laughs> so even when I see him, it was hard for me to come up with his name because I think of him as Jimmy James. So it's it's you see these people and they've imprinted on you as something else. 
But jumping to conclusions guy in this is a really great character. He's kind of like bumbling and it kind of causes the whole problem right. of the movie because, you know, he's he has the shotgun in the bus and he ends up like inadvertently blowing the driver's brains out. Right, right. Which causes them to crash on a train track. Right. With the train coming. And he can't, you know, he he's he refuses to help because he's just trying to get the hell out of Dodge so he doesn't get killed. And, yeah, then he goes off trying to act like he was, like, the best. And, <laughs> you know, he saved his partner's life and he did all the stuff. And, of course, he's caught out in a lie. And that part's really funny, too. Oh, I love that. I also like the fact that, once again, we have somebody who's, like, a vision of the future. We have Nick Searcy who I always remember from Justified. Yes. And he's law enforcement in this and law enforcement in that. He's he's a really good actor. And he plays Rollins, who's kind of the sheriff here. And again, kind of local law is portrayed as bumbling. So the, the prison guards are kind of, well, the one that gets stabbed, we don't really know him enough to know if he's good or not. But I think no. since they stab him, we're to assume that, you know, he's probably good at his job. <laughs> but <laughs> that's the mark. Yeah, well, that's the I mean, mark of goodness. He goes down. So they, you know, he was fighting and stuff. But, you know, Richard Rila, the jumping to conclusions guy, is not. Then Rollins is crap. He just is ready to, like, write it off. Like, right. oh, yeah, everything's fine. I mean,. This prison guard says the everybody got killed, so they must all be dead, so we're all good. And, of course, like, I think that's really unrealistic because I don't think anybody would ever be willing to go on that that quickly. Mm. But he is. And, of course, it's really just an opening so that Tommy Lee Jones and team can take over the investigation and actually, you know, start the manhunt. Um, but... I still, like, really enjoyed seeing Circe in this role because it's just kind of a, you know, prequel to what he does later um, in Justified. Yeah. It's crazy. I think they said that he was an actor who went to L.A., you know, so he came out here, and then he went back to North Carolina, I think, to help with his father's restaurant hmm. or a family restaurant, and then he had this, and then, of course, you know... <laughs> Everything you just worked never out. know what's going to make it work. You really don't. No. We've heard so many stories like that. It's so funny. Well, I really like the idea. I want to go back to something you said that, you know, this guard was stabbed, so we know he's good. <laughs> you know, like, wouldn't that be nice if, like, instead of, like, getting a watch for, like, 10 years of service, you just get a quick shank? You know <laughs> what I good. mean? You just hold your side. You know what I mean? They take a photo of you, put it up on the wall, 10 years of service. You that know, just like... makes me think of... <laughs> It makes me think of the workers' comp sketch from Kids in the Hall, where, yeah. like, these people, like, were, you know, manual laborers, and their dream was to have, like, exactly the right type of injury that could get them workers' comp without, yeah. like, maiming them for life. Right. And they're like, you gotta do something that's serious enough, but not too serious. It's very funny, and that's kind of what that makes me think of, like... You know, that guy gets stabbed in the line of duty. He doesn't want to, like, die. Yeah. But he does want to have, like, a nice, you know, few weeks off. <laughs> so, you know, but this guy cut it pretty close. Because it wasn't, you know, he had, like, a 
perforation of his upper abdomen. I really enjoy that. Like Harrison Ford as Dr. Kimball, you know, is on the run, but he's in the hospital and he like tells, you know, the people bringing the paramedics the you know, what happened to the guy. And the guy almost recognizes somebody like puts the oxygen mask over his mouth so he can't talk. Oh my God. There's so much I want to talk mm. about in that hospital, but I just want to go back to our jumping to conclusions, Matt guy, once again, because in office space, he gets really injured. You That's remember? True. He's really hurt. That's true. And it, like, he's so happy. Because he's got a worker's comp check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it, my God. It's all tied together. This is so weird. It's all the same movie, guys. <laughs> Harrison Ford, Office Space. You know, it's... And Kids in the Hall. I and mean... Kids in the Hall. You know, Harrison Ford on Kids in the Hall every other week. We just couldn't get enough Harrison Ford on kids in the hall oh my god yeah no yeah. it's really funny that all these things kind of stitch together yeah it's crazy well i mean so let's talk about the hospital okay so what i really like is you know he dresses up as a doctor once again it's what he knows <laughs> and you know he's like eating something and he's walking through the hall and you know this cop stops him and he's like have you seen anyone with this description and it's you know his exact description he goes oh yeah every time i look in the mirror except for the beard, and he laughs and walks away. And then the police officer stops him again. And, you know, you can see the fear on Ford's face, like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm like, totally busted. And this cop just kind of points because, like, his fly is hanging wide open. Yeah. And so he just, like, zips up his fly, and the cop, like, turns away, you know, and he's walking away, and he's kind of looking, you know, towards our direction of the camera, and he's just, like, laughing. Yeah, he's just laughing to himself, like, oh, that doctor. <laughs> you know, like, those good times. Like, I that's, again, this is, again, why I feel like I just saw so much comedy in this film, because, again, we had mentioned Jane Lynch is in here. Like, yeah. Jane Lynch, you know, she's excellent. You know, and and this also she has like on a lot of like uh, really interesting badges. Like yeah, pins. she has these pens on about uh, like I th I mean su supporting non traditional family or something like this, and it's really interesting to me that she had like this activist buttons on her coat. Yeah, you know, even back in nineteen ninety three, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but she's really good, and she's not necessarily comedic here. She's just no. like a friend of Kimball who, you know, really believes in him and wants to see him, you know, free. And she, you know, helps him a lot in the investigation. Yeah. And it's through her assistance with her, like, lab work and everything that they're able to really understand the motive because of course the one-armed man is just a hired gun mm -hmm. uh literally in this case <laughs> with killing mrs kimball uh, who's played by Celia ward uh the one-armed man was actually a cop and that's how you know this was not uncovered because a cop is the one who did the crime he was an ex-cop, right? And he was working yeah. security. Yeah. 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 And then the actor was Andreas Katsoulis, and he's playing Sykes, you know, this ex-cop who's in charge of security, you know, for this pharmaceutical company that's super shady. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love it that he has this interview scene with Tommy Lee Jones. And, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, poking a little bit of fun here, but it was so hilarious. So uh, what happened is the Sykes character was brought on a vacation to Mexico, you know, by the pharmaceutical company. 
Okay. And, um, you know, they're chatting about it. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, well, where did they, they bring you on this trip? And he goes, Can Con. <laughs> Can Con, yeah. What? <laughs> where the hell was Can Con? <laughs> like, I mean, I thought that he was saying something really vile, you know? Like, I, I didn't know Cancun, and I sure as hell didn't know Can Con <laughs> when I saw it. So it really gave me. It really gave me a good chuckle. I mean, the guy is great. I mean, he's, you know, a really good actor because he is able to really be terrifying. And he's also really good at being personable. He just seems like a regular guy. Yeah. Well, and he, I thought that he did such a great job with playing, like, this person who kind of knows that they're caught. Yes, I agree. I mean, because he's protesting too much, which Tommy Lee Jones sees through, Mm -hmm. you know. But also, he just has this attitude like, you know, you shouldn't be bothering me. Like, I'm an ex-cop. I work in security. I don't know what this guy's doing, you know. And he's so defensive that it feels pretty obvious that he did it. But I, I think that's on purpose. Like, this guy thought he was safe. Like, he thought he would never get caught because... He's working for Big Pharma. Right. You know, they have unlimited resources here. And they are about to get away with it. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that Kimball was able to escape, find out what really happened with these liver samples, Mm -hmm. you know, he had actually uncovered some information about how this drug that they were trying to work with for heart disease it was to treat heart disease was the firstly affecting the liver in these patients and because he worked on livers and gallbladders we see him actually doing a gallbladder surgery that has had complications at the very beginning of the movie he was you know he uncovered these side effects that would have made this a non-viable pharmaceutical And the big pharma is like, yeah, no, we're not going to accept that, right? So they just had to find the right doctor to get them to overlook it. Well, they did, but they also, you know, have this guy that needs to be silenced, and he's not the only one. So Kimball, like, finds out that after they killed his wife, they were actually trying to kill him, and he just wasn't home. Uh, because he had gone to a surgery, because it was an emergency. They killed his wife. Then they later killed another colleague of theirs while he was, like, jogging. So the guy was jogging, and he got hit by a car. Um, And it was just chalked up to be an accident, but obviously it was not an accident. Um, So Kimball is able to track that information down, and then he goes to this banquet... And kind of is going to confront Nichols, who is his friend. So it's this guy that he's been friends with this whole time. He actually went to this guy first to get help while he was on the lam. Uh, and then this guy's played by Yerwin Crabbe. I'm pronouncing it horribly. But we're just going to go with Crabbe from now on because I know that part's right. <laughs> um, and it was actually supposed to be Richard Jordan, who's another really great actor. But I think that, you know, I I guess what happened is Richard Jordan became ill with what was actually his terminal illness um, and had to be replaced. So they got Jerome Corbet 
into the role. And I think it's probably a better choice of casting um, because physically, I think Jerome Corbet is a better match for Harrison Ford. Well, I think that Trebet is an excellent actor. There's a bunch of things I want to say right now. Some are, are backtracking. So, Crabbe was in The Living Daylights, the James Bond film. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, so James Bond. We know somebody that played James Bond, Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. And then he worked with Harrison Ford. I just wanted to tie that back, yeah. you know, so I, I wanted to get... Paddling in the same pool. Right. Again, we always go to the same places. Now with Sykes, he is, I believe, the head of security for this massive pharmaceutical firm. Now... Either he's very bold or incredibly stupid to leave out all of the very specific evidence that would be needed to connect him to the murder of <laughs> Richard Kimball's wife. He has out the photos of the trip. He has out all this information about the pharmaceutical company. His arm. <laughs> his arm. You know, like his tax records, you know, like his business information. Just all of it's right there. Now, you know, again, in an apartment, people have these things, right? But it just felt too easy to me. I just kind of felt like Kimball rolled in. And it was just all laid out like it was waiting for him, like a cake he was going to pick up, a cake that had me inside waiting <laughs> to pop out. Well, you know? it wasn't the first person he had visited. So I guess that the issues that he ran into were that he had a list of people and he had to narrow that list down. But once he found the guy, yeah, he, you know, everything else was pretty much right there for him. And I do think that you have a point with it being, you know, that the guy's kind of like, bold and kind of doesn't think he's going to get caught. He thinks he's gotten away with it. Well, again, I want to point out that Andrew Davis also worked with Steven Seagal on a couple occasions. Uh, he worked with Steven Seagal on the film Above the Law, and I'm going to quote that film. You think you're above the law or you ain't above mine. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's what I get here. You know, and that's <laughs> I mean, that's really it. I, I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I must be bold because you don't get the idea necessarily that Sykes is stupid because he manages to commit murder. He manages to, you know, keep his arm on when Harrison Ford is really ripping on it. Yeah. You know, when they're rolling down the stairs, it's a hell of a fight yeah. that these two guys have. Very physical. Right. And also to kill Helen Kimball. Oh, God, that is that is the most heartbreaking part of this film for me, honestly, because I think that Celia Ward is fantastic. And I feel like the chemistry that we see between Celia Ward and Harrison Ford is perfect. I yeah. feel like that is a married couple. That is a great married couple. You could see them out. We get to see them schmooze a little bit at the beginning, you know, and be friendly. Then we also get some of that interior life and the car ride back. You know, and, and then, you know, when she is murdered, you know, we hear that 911 call. Oh, my God. You know, and again, the acting, Harrison Ford, you know, I mean, this is yeah. the love of his life. We get it. Having to hear that call. When you really think about having to hear about the person that you love most in your life being murdered. Yeah, it's awful. I can't I mean, imagine. He's hearing her talking to oh. the 911 operator on this call. I mean, Ford really nailed it yeah. in this. He does a lot of heavy-duty acting in this, and it's very good. I mean, I don't think that he 
had, I mean, I don't think of him as being like the super dramatic actor, but it's because I'm dumb and <laughs> I'm not thinking about stuff like this because he is very good at pulling off this high drama without it becoming melodrama yeah. at all. I mean, it, it is all very real and it feels very authentic. So here's a question I have. So on this 911 phone call, why is it that Helen says Richard twice? Like, because she sees him, I guess? Like I thought it was because she's dying, and mm -hmm. she knows she's dying, and she's just thinking about him. That was what I got out of it. Okay. Yeah, it was just, that was, that was a moment that threw me for a loop, you know, because I was thinking about, okay, let's say I know nothing, and I'm in the courtroom, and I hear this. If I hear the victim say the husband's name twice, when at that point we don't have any evidence to show, you know, that anyone else was in there. There was no forced entry, you know, so it's like someone had a key to the place. They went in. Yeah, It's yeah. like I, I really was like, geez, there's no, you don't have a leg to stand on. It's a very good, it's circumstantial, but it's a very good circumstantial case. However, I mean, the problem is that a big part of what they were hinging on you know, shutting the case is that, you know, she was the one with money. So she came from a wealthy family right, and right. they're like, oh, well, you're going to be well off now or whatever. And it's like, he's a doctor. He's not hurting for money. He doesn't, no. you know, we don't have any evidence that he's in a situation where he needs money, you know? And so that was pretty thin, and later on it's called out as being so thin by, by Gerard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's like, he's rich? Uh, he's a rich doctor? Like, why does he need insurance money? Right. Like, it just doesn't make sense. But for these cops, they're just like, well, it worked for us, you know? And right. And clearly they thought, like, they had some, you know, great evidence of that, and they didn't really go much further because they felt that it was enough for them. Um, the circumstantial evidence had convinced them. So it kind of had like a confirmation bias where they were like, they probably heard this 911 call and they're like, well, that's it. Open and shut. And now they think like every other bit of evidence that shows up, they just fit it into their own storyline and don't consider how it could be something else. And we see that with, you know, the, the, the Searcy cop too, you know, until, <laughs> until Tommy Lee Jones's team shows up with these leg shackles that they found that, that <laughs> clearly reveal that there are escaped convicts. They're just willing to be like, well, sounds good to me. Let's just move on. So, um, yeah, not a, not a very positive portrayal of law enforcement here. Several times. Yeah. You've got your bumpkin country cops, and then you have your bumpkin city cops, too. Um, and fortunately, the U.S. Marshals are there to, like, take care of business. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, like, really what sums up the actions <laughs> of, of the police, the non, you know, U.S. Marshals in this is... <laughs> If you got a clear shot, take it. You know, <laughs> exactly. and that's really it. Just get him out. Yeah. And I, you know, here's something. This is so off base, but I, I do want to mention it. When I watched the movie this time, again, older. So I was like, man, 
the Kimballs have a really nice place. <laughs> I was like, this is a place I would like to live in. Like that staircase was really it's nice. A really beautiful house. Oh, yeah. it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous home. So here's another point. This is tied to the marriage. Okay. So, you know, obviously, once again, sex is good. Sex is great. <laughs> but if you were brutally murdered... I don't think the thought on my mind would be, do you remember that night that we just fucked and it was so right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't know yeah, about I just that didn't... either. But that happens a lot with these certain kind of I movies. Know, I mean, I'm seeing that in other movies too. Like, the, you know, the guy's thinking back about, you know, the relationship and he's just thinking about the boning part. I, I guess it's supposed to be... You know, I guess a physical expression of love, I, I guess, is where we're going. Or they're I mean, showing their intimacy and right. how much they knew each other. It doesn't, it doesn't really work for me either. No. I would think that you would have thought about, like, a tender moment that you had together or something like that. But I think it doesn't read as well. So they're, you know, going for the physical instead of the emotional. Well, I also think if you're going to have to do... <laughs> the, the sex scene you know like i think we should have just changed it up i mean i think we should have gone like some different positions some different <laughs> oh, like places in the home like really like give us something different because you know all of us can think about uh you know some kind of sexual encounter real or imagined but what makes this so unique you know what makes this you know your connection to your soulmate beyond death you know is it that you know you, you did it on the island in the kitchen <laughs> you know maybe so you know like what what is it that, what that's that, that apart yeah that that's what like is your one like maybe you know there there was like i don't know some some dancing maybe it could be a lead up give me something but yeah just like you know happy pumping away just holding up you know the breasts it's just like what are we doing? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It seems kind of simplistic and yeah. odd to me, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't think about that before either because, yeah, when I watched this, I was a lot younger. Right. And I haven't seen this in quite a few years. Mm -hmm. And I also probably wasn't picking things apart to the extent that I am now. <laughs> right. Because nowadays we're like zeroing out on everything. Like it's, you know, super nitpicky. What I would have liked very much, I mean, I actually just thought about it. If we if we did that Kimball sex scene again, maybe it was like other thoughts kind of, you know, intruded. So it's like we can do that sex scene. <laughs> and then Tommy Lee Jones face just flies in. I don't care. That would be good. I would also really like it if we could have, you know, <laughs> you know, them having sex, you know, and then like we could just like cut to Ford's face. We were. If you got a clear shot, take it. You know what I mean? Just, well, you know, that would be, that would have a whole new good. meaning, right? I, I think it's awful. It's, I mean, I think it is. But, you know, this is a movie that I do really enjoy. I've seen it so many times. So I think that's why I'm, I'm making some off-the-wall comments. Because <laughs> this is something that I've enjoyed watching. It, it's, it's great suspense. You know, it, it, it's great action. And I really believe... You know, this guy is on the run. And I yeah. also believe that he is smart enough that he can make it. Now, I fell for, by the way, that uh, Crabbe was his friend. I See, fell for I, it, hook, line, and sinker. 
I don't know. I guess I just have an innate mistrust of your own Corbet because yeah. as soon as I see him, I'm like, nope, he's really screwing somebody over. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop with him. Right. Um, you know, but he does seem like he's trying to help him and other parts of this. So, you know, you're like you're trying to reconcile those things at the end maybe is a little bit tough because he was trying to help him. But it's like, what is he trying to help him for? Like, you know, and also he says, you know, he's so smart. He keeps, Crabbe is the one that keeps saying how smart Kimball is. Like Nichols tells that to, to, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Gerard. Um, and it does continue to bear out that Kimball is very smart. Sure. And he does figure out what Nichols has done. And, you know, he confronts him, and it's like, I don't understand maybe what Nichols was supposed to be doing at the end. Like, when he's talking to him at this banquet right. where they're presenting the drug, it's like he felt like he got away with it at that point. And then here comes Kimball, mm -hmm. like, to just expose this company right in public at this banquet. And it begs the question for me, like, did Nichols think that he wasn't going to figure it out? Did he think that he would ignore it if he did figure it out? Did he think he was just going to get caught and he wouldn't have to worry about it? I mean, I'm guessing it's option three. But he didn't ever offer any help to Gerard or Gerard's team in catching Kimball. No, as a matter of fact, he did the opposite. Yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, I saw him. You know what I mean? He didn't even say that he talked to him on the telephone during their second meeting. You know, he had no interest in, in helping the police, and all he did is say that Richard Kimball's a very smart man, you know, and he didn't believe that he did it. I feel with Nichols, I don't think that he had the the foresight. I think that he was really focused on the minute-to-minute. -minute. It's like, let's make this business deal. I got this. He went to jail. We're good. You know, there's no way he's getting out. Then Kimball gets out of jail. Okay, no way he's going to figure this out. Impossible. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay. And then when he is confronted at the banquet, I just feel that Nichols doesn't know what to do. No, I mean, he he's... tries to laugh it off. I also feel like he would probably say, you know, Richard Kimball, uh, you know, was unstable. Richard Kimball is a fugitive, which, you know, he literally is. You know, try to, you know, sweet talk him, get him away. And I, I think that's it. I think he's just trying to ignore what is increasingly feeling like the inevitability. I, I, he's trying to ignore, yeah, that inevitably he's going to be caught. Um, I think that he's just kind of living, uh, you know, blissfully in this idea that it, it's going to work out. And also these pharmaceutical companies, you know, if they have that much money on the line, this company, you know, is definitely going to you know, go to bat for him. Yeah. Or also, you know, the pharmaceutical company could also just kill Nichols. And, you know what I mean? That's the other part I mean, of it. why not? I guess maybe that's part of it, too. He's, like, kind of having to save his own life because yeah. he's promised that he's going to deliver this, and if he doesn't deliver it, he's seen what will happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's a little confusing, but I do think, I think that's more of a script issue. I think that, you know, the thing with this that we heard in some of the supplemental material that we watched was that, you know, of course they had a script 
but a lot of the actual moment-to-moment stuff was improvised. Right. So sometimes when you have that much improvisation, you end up in a situation where things may not make sense in the overall story, where they do make sense in the scene-to-scene. Yeah. And I'm wondering if maybe that's part of it somehow, that, like, you know, they lost sight of the big picture because they were really focused on doing great stuff in the detail. And they did do great stuff in the detail. Like, it all feels very in the moment. Like, there's so many parts of this that I feel are so strongly in the moment that Mm -hmm. it feels like it's happening. But then when you look at the big picture, I do end up with some of these questions. It doesn't really take away from my enjoyment of the movie. I think this is still a really great movie and has a lot of the things I'm looking for in a mystery, in a cop chase movie, in an action film. And it has some really seriously kick-ass acting. But yeah, I'm kind of chalking it up to that, maybe. That it's like a, a lack of focus on the big picture. Because what they did do well in this is action. I mean, they crashed a freaking train. Uh, yeah, can you believe they actually <laughs> crashed that train? Yeah. They talked about all the cameras that they had set up. You know, and that that must have been incredibly dangerous, oh, you yeah. know, to do that. And they talked about how now they would do it with CGI, you know. And, and, and somebody, I think, even joked and said maybe it would look even better. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they had all of these just really interesting, practical things happening. For instance, when we saw Harrison Ford, right? swimming in that freezing cold water right and they said he had a wetsuit on underneath his clothing but i i was just like he looked like he was dying yeah he he looks so cold oh my gosh It, it just was like you could you could feel it i'm a person that if i ever you know my clothes get wet i'm i like freak out but if it's cold out and then you're soaking wet I mean, I just kind of want my life to end at that point, you <laughs> well, know? we both were like cringe city when we saw that scene. We were just like, oh, because you can just feel how cold he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they had so many moments in this that, you know, we, we learned about. When they were fighting at the hotel at the end, you know, oh, they were God. actually like out on this, this balcony at one point and they were kind of like just tossing each other around and you know the two actors were kind of you know pushing each other over the railing a little bit and you're like oh my god you know and then it's like they said that when they fall through the skylight um you know they there were you know stuntmen and the stuntmen handled the the bigger fall for both of them but there's like a close-up where you can see harrison ford like fall into the frame and i mean that did not look gentle no, he smacked down like super hard yeah i mean and that's kind of back to what i was saying before about having your own crabay uh, as nichols as opposed to richard jordan is i think that physically crabay is a better match for harrison forward so this altercation did become very physical yeah yeah i don't know that richard jordan sick or not would have had like the same physical presence in in this fight. I don't know that it would have been able to become that physical. I could be wrong. Who knows? I think that it would have been a lot more cunning. I feel like yeah. 
with Richard Jordan, it would have been like he had a knife or yeah. he had some kind of, of weapon that he was coming at him with. I don't like his feel... his brain would have been more in use than his brawn. Correct. Yeah. That, that's exactly... That's exactly how I would see it. That's exactly how I would see it. Yeah, because Cribet is like a big guy. I mean, he's big and physically imposing in comparison. And Harrison Ford is like, you know, kind of a normal size kind of guy too. So together, and they were like younger and mm-hmm. in decent shape. Harrison Ford is in ridiculous shape. That's true. He was Ridiculous a, He shape. was actually in his 50s, I believe, in this, or at least close. And he was, like, in really good shape. Yeah, he, like, he had the shirt off, and you could tell, you know, he was still cut. There was definition, definition in the yeah. arms. I was like, what? Yeah. You know? And, I mean, that's I mean that's really impressive. I mean, I'm 45, and I haven't been in as good a shape <laughs> as he was in in this. I've never been in that good of a shape <laughs> my entire life. It's, I mean, you know, it, it's a very good action film because... It's always on the run. There's never a safe moment. I mean, when he finds that basement room to stay in, now that is a very disturbing scene because you see the mother and then the son, and the son just seems off to begin with. Like, I do not feel comfortable with him in any way, shape, or form, you know? And I was just like, what's going on in this house? Fully agree with you. These uh, these people seem a little off. Yeah, yeah. The son in particular does. And, right. like, in this commentary, I'm hearing, like, Andrew Davis talking about, you know, that this is a teenager. Mm. And I'm like, that is a rough-ass teenager right there. Oh, yeah. And they said they wanted somebody that was like Belushi. I'm like, what? And then, like, you know, this guy that plays the son is busted for selling drugs to kids and you're like what the fuck is going I'm on like was he selling drugs to kids or i mean like i had a lot of questions it was creep city and i felt super creeped out and yeah. it's not just you no. and then we have like a goofy scene at the police station with him yeah. where everybody's just chowing down and like he's giving information i don't know that was that was super it's a really bizarre. weird yeah weird character weird scene just strange i mean it's back to what you said about this kind of uh seeming unintentional type comedy right i don't think it was unintentional i think it was intentional for it to be sort of comic but it's bizarre and honestly it's what makes this film kind of unique is that it does have these weird interludes of funny stuff and that kind of makes it seem more real to me it takes some of the pressure off. It's like a classic technique of having comic relief to kind of let off some of the steam that's building up during the suspense parts. Well, I mean, to tie it in with the Big Lebowski, I mean, what I would say about the, the son of the, the property owner um, is eight-year-olds, dude. <laughs> that's what I felt yeah, like, Dude, too. that's what I thought. I was like, get me out of here. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I but think again, they, they we look to... at Big Lebowski, right? I mean, we have we have this Jesus character. And, and what do we remember? We remember laughs, right? Mm-hmm. We remember these jokes. But then it's like, wait, what the fuck did this guy do? So yeah. it, it's it's very Like, how do you off-putting. make this work? You yeah. Know? I don't know. It's, I don't either. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's a different situation, I guess, in this because they're, 
I don't know. It, it isn't different. It's all fucked up, honestly. <laughs> That's how I see it. But yeah, I mean, this film, though, there, there never is a safe moment. You know, we have this, you know, place that he's staying in. Kimball is staying in this room and then the police come, but the police come and bust the creepy son and some other kid, you know. And, and so you're like, oh, OK, you know, he's safe this moment. And everywhere he goes, it seems that someone, you know, remembers who he is later. I mean, he's got this real luck. You know, when we talk again about that hospital scene with the fly down. The cop didn't realize it until later. Yeah. He also runs into the police officer, you know, that, that had the, the stab wound, right? And that cop couldn't really talk, so it was very convenient. You know, we also had when he goes to the prison to try to track down one of his other leads. There's another police officer there that remembers who he is after the fact. The, the one point where they finally have someone pretty much in real time catch him is on the train. And that's that's the moment, you know, that, that we have the real escalation, because, you know, as soon as the, this train passenger exits to another car in fear and then is talking to a police officer, we can see it through the window to the next subway car and points at Kimball. That's when Sykes shows up, mm-hmm. you know, in the frame. And then they have, you know, a massive fight. Mm-hmm. And, um, you and know, Sykes kills the transit cop. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, And I mean, you brought up a good point that the people on that train weren't all that phased. Like, I think I saw somebody <laughs> kind of leaning back, but I mean, I would be screaming like a banshee. I would be trying to like, I don't know, punch my way out of the car. I would, I, you know, I would jump out of a, a speeding train car rather than, than sit there with, with the, the guy in a gun. Well, I mean, yeah, Chicago is supposed to be kind of like a high crime town, but uh, that high crime that you're just like, eh, whatever. Well, and I mean, what I really enjoy about that scene is Kimball, you know, he really uh, makes good on this fight because he kicks the ever-loving shit out of Sykes. And then after he's got him and he's got him like handcuffed, you know, to the pole in the subway car, he just smashes his head into the door. Yeah. And I'm sure it's just a sound effect, but damn, it really looks like he just gave him one. You know, on the on the way out well, the door there. That's the guy who killed his wife, man. He's been looking for this guy, and he's fuck, ready to fuck this guy up. Oh, no. I'm talking about, like, two actors and somebody slammed oh. your head into the wall. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's not that. They just did an excellent job, so I really thought that it happened. But that's what I'm saying. It's oh, like, okay. damn, that looked really, like, you know, like, <laughs> well, goddamn, you know? Hopefully Harrison Ford did brain damage Andreas Kasula's <laughs> Well, they go hard, man. That that's what we that's get. True. Everybody I mean, goes hard. Harrison and like, Ford like busted up his leg oh, in yeah. this movie, running in the woods, and he wouldn't do surgery until he was uh, done with the film. So there's parts of this where he's limping, and that's because he's really limping because he hurt his leg. I mean, this guy goes hard. Well, yeah, and also we have the scene at the prison where he's running down the stairs. And then in the commentary, I believe Tommy Lee Jones said he hurt his leg again, you know. So it was just like it was a really it was a it was a difficult um, time, I imagine, because you have all of these these big action scenes. I mean, you have fight scenes. You're literally running the entire time. Mm. I felt like running through the woods was the scariest part of it to me. Well, because you could just trip. I mean, you could trip over a branch. You could trip a hole, right? A hole, a rock. And then you get to swim in this ice-cold water. Yeah. 
Well, I have bad knees, so every time he was, like, walking on that leg and limping, I was just like, ow, 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 because I was just thinking how much it must hurt. Yeah, I mean, you really feel it in in every way. You really feel, you know, what's going on. And another thing that, that we have, which is similar to the Big Lebowski, is that Kimball actually goes undercover, you know, as a janitor, um, and he turns into Desmondo. You know, yeah, and again, that also makes me think about Sean Connery uh, and oh Highlander. God. Yeah, <laughs> so horrible. Just like totally, totally wild. You know, and it's just like, all right. So yeah, we have that. Yeah, I mean, what if Walter Sobchak was helping out uh, Harrison Ford in this? You know. We should just do a full Big Lebowski mashup with the fugitive. <laughs> what, what if, if Kimball was hiding out in a bowling alley <laughs> and Sam Elliott was helping him? Oh, wow. What if, like, what if the dude was tracking down Richard Kimball? Now, that would have been really good. Mm, that would have been really good. Yeah, like, we could have had it that, like, the nihilists were the Chicago PD. <laughs> they are kind of like the nihilists. <laughs> I'll cut off your Jansen. <laughs> That's no amazing. funny stuff. <laughs> no funny stuff. No, no funny stuff. They definitely would say that. You cut off I'm your Johnson. They didn't say that anyway. <laughs> That's amazing. I like saying Johnson. That's really, I think. <laughs> it sounds excellent. Well, cut off your Johnson. <laughs> we got your new, your new tagline on this show. Hey. Come for Films Podcast. We'll cut off your Johnson. <laughs> hey, Kimball, why don't you come over and I'll cut off your Polish sausage. <laughs> Oh boy, we're getting loopy. I feel like we're getting a little crazy, but you know what they say. If you get a clear shot, take, take it. it. Take yeah, it. take it. For All Ditka. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For Ditka. For Ditka. You know, I, they right. should have talked about the bears in this. I mean, oh, that was a missed opportunity. It is. I mean, we had a St. Patrick's Day parade, and that was pretty incredible. That's true. You know, and I, I really enjoyed that. And I also thought that there was a fun point that was brought up in the improv, which is. And that was with the U.S. Marshals, which is if they can turn the water green, why don't they turn it blue? Because <laughs> it's just gray and yeah. brown. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was fun. I the that was the parade fun. scene was actually a really cool thing because that actually was happening. Yeah, it was not scheduled. It was just they were having a parade. Wow. And Harrison Ford like did go down into the crowd and kind of disguise himself in the crowd, and they were just kind of shooting that guerrilla style. Uh, in the crowd with him and Tommy Lee Jones, with him trying to escape. It was pretty cool. It was awesome. And I also want to say that Harrison Ford is, again, definitely a movie star because any mismatched clothing that they put him in, he always looked good. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that old man sweater? It's he, fine. He made that look younger, you know? And, like, even when they dyed his hair and they tried to make it look rough, you could still tell it was a movie star. Like, yeah. you know, I tried to just pull together, you know, some different things for clothing, and I look like fucking shit. You know what I mean? I don't have I don't have that Harrison Ford clothes charisma. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean just not made for it like him no it's just it's just not the same with me as it is with him yeah it was funny that he had his hair like dark but it was only just for a very small portion of the movie yeah um but the, the beard like going the from beard. beard to no beard like completely changes his face and that was a very smart choice mm-hmm. on the part of the movie makers although i think the producers were really mad 
you know, because they didn't want this. They got, you know, they paid for Harrison Ford, not Harrison Ford with the beard. You yeah. Know? They didn't want people not being able to see his face. Do you know what I heard the, the producers actually said to Andrew Davis? What's that? Well, cut off your Johnson. <laughs> Get rid of the beard. Get rid of Ford's beard. We we'll, don't like the beard. Get rid of Ford's beard or we're going to cut off your Johnson. <laughs> I mean, I'm really just killing it. What can this I tell is you? It. This, is it. <laughs> this is the film, guys. I mean, right. you know, the I future... mean, watch it because you're missing out on all these great <laughs> Johnson cutting scenes. I mean, what have we covered? We've covered naked paintings. We've covered me jumping naked out of a cake. We've covered when your loved one dies. Think about porking them. You know what I mean? Like we've really covered Polish Keeping sausage. classy. You know, Ditka. Ditka, you know? Ditka. Ditka. Do we have anything else real we want to say about this movie? Okay, so for the Oscars for 1994, it was a winner, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Tommy Lee Jones. And what it was nominated for was Best Picture, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing, Best Music, original score i mean this is crazy and i james newton howard did the music mm -hmm. genius it's beautiful yeah. michael chapman is your cinematographer like i mean these are all heavyweights this was just like the real like this was the real deal yeah. i mean tommy lee jones when you put him with somebody you get gold right and, and they always want to put him with someone that's different you know, I love Men in Black. Yeah, it you know? super works with him and Will Smith. Yeah, it's just like they're they're perfect. It's the perfect foil, you know? And in this, you know, we talked about the train sequence. And Richard Kimball is so driven, right? And, and then we also have, you know, Samuel Gerard. He is so driven. They are like two speeding trains, <laughs> you know what I mean, coming at each other on the same track yeah you know there there's nothing and then suddenly you switch the lever and then they're running in parallel yeah instead of in opposition look i i think that that's absolutely absolutely perfect ah okay so a, a couple <laughs> a couple other things that i do want to bring up which are just enjoyable i i really liked the uh the samuel gerard line don't let him give you any shit about your ponytail. That <laughs> yeah. was excellent. There's a lot of smaller parts on this. I guess that one of the um, newscaster people is an actual newscaster. Oh, yeah. In Chicago, Lester Holt. Mm -hmm. I think he's like a big guy on the news now. Um, but one of the other guys is uh, David Pascasi who I just only can think of as Stu the Meat Man from Strangers with Candy <laughs> every time I see him. Um, he also was uh, Selena Kyle's ex-husband in uh, Veep and was really good in that. Um, but for me, he's always Stu the Meat Man. So he goes to ask this question in this press conference, and I'm like, Stu the Meat Man, <laughs> journalist. <laughs> I, just I guess snorted. he's Stu the Meat Journalist. <laughs> He's, there's a lot of meat news. You know what I mean? You need to know about the no. He's on the meat beat. <laughs> Stu the meat man's beating the meat beat. You know what I mean? I love that. And he's like checking out he's the pork. He's be beating feet on the meat beat. Ooh, beat your feet on the meat beat, Pete. And his name was Pete. No, he had no name. But it would have been good if he was Pete in this. 
even if he is Stu the Meat Man. So, I, I mean, I like that. You know, you want to make sure you have competitive pricing on your pork shoulder. You know, you yeah, want to make sure that your cutting is up to snuff. You, you know, know, you exactly need to practice how these that things. is. Yeah. <laughs> You and I can't say enough about good meat cutting. If you do good butchering, there is a place for you in paradise. <laughs> that's that's what we've learned. I have to tell you, I really love going back to The Fugitive. Definitely going to visit again because it moves fast. It feels scary. I love yeah. it. You know, it's again, it feels like you're on a roller coaster. I know that's overused, but... It kind of feels like, um, how about this? It kind of feels like you're uh, driving in the car at night without the headlights on <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not like saying, you know, I, I want to do that. But it's kind of like an area where there's no one around. But, I mean, you could just like drive off a fucking cliff. <laughs> at any moment. At any moment. And that's no, what it it's like. it does feel like that. It feels like out of control. Yeah. In like a good way. Yeah. Like, uh because you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you have a feeling that sure. things are going to work out, but there's plenty of times in this that you don't know how that's going to happen. No, you don't have any idea, and I can't believe that Richard Kimball has so many good friends. But he does have one super fucking shitty friend, so I guess yeah, I guess that evens out. out. Yeah, like one friend, you know, puts you in jail, gets your wife killed. Yeah, it's better to have maybe not, no friends. <laughs> I mean, that relationship between Kimball and Gerard is really kind of the heart of the movie. Right. And having, you know, the two crotchetiest men in Hollywood, <laughs> had, you know, facing off against each other really worked. They matched energy in a really interesting way where they were very different people, but they worked against each other really well. Yeah, and we had, you know, Harrison Ford bringing this wonderful, dramatic work to the table, and we had Tommy Lee Jones you know, in service of his job, bringing us a lot of humor, yes. you know, and I mean, of course, you and know, quick I'm, talking. Oh, yeah, I love that. And, and, you know, I'm going to paraphrase the line, but I like when he asks one of his crew, what are you doing? He's like, I'm thinking. And he goes, well, think me up a cup of coffee and a chocolate donut with some of those little sprinkles on top while you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, again, he's always focused on the concrete. This isn't like a imaginative kind of a person. He's very black and white. Very concrete, very tangible. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's what makes this work is that tension between those two people. And it's fun, you know, yeah. when they finally come together at the end. And I think that's when we finally do see some emotion out of Tommy Lee Jones, where he just basically says, You can relax. We got him, you know? And I think that actually comes off as being a pretty meaningful moment. Well, and it's crazy because this is his new friend, yeah. and it's the most unlikely friend. And when this new friend has exonerated him and everything is cool again, that's where the film ends. So I guess, once again, The Fugitive is a film about friendship because he has one best friend who sends him <laughs> to jail and kills his wife. And then he has a new best friend that gets him out of jail and gives him an ice pack. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But was trying to kill him for quite a few days. Yeah, but it's all right. I mean, he got over it. Yeah, he got over it. He, he got over on. it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that was a fun talk. Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed listening to us uh, mull over The Fugitive and the many funny things about that movie. 
um, that we've been watching now for, God, 30 years. Yeah, a long time. Holy hell. Yeah, right? Um, yeah, no, I know. I, sometimes I can't believe stuff like that. It's kind of mind-blowing. I was in high school, for Christ's sake. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm so old well, now. Well, this came out in 93, right? So, yeah, yeah. 29 years ago. Yeah. Oh heaven's sake right um but yeah it was it was great to rewatch and it was great to you know see so many different things in it this is what we love about rewatching great movies is that you get something different out of it every time so we hope you enjoyed uh, listening to this episode check us out on our social media channels as always instagram in particular usually has a lot going on but we are also on twitter and youtube so like and subscribe some vids over there if you want to look at our faces while we make these ridiculous proclamations about cutting off people's johnsons <laughs> we will be back next week uh, to wrap up our mystery month with another comedy mystery that i have probably seen triple digit number of times because i've watched the movie so much clue uh, and we will have a special guest, Jen Radell, uh, who we know from Worcester Shakespeare again. So <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to that conversation. Uh, and until then, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody.